iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Matt Mitovich of TVLine.com, and tonight's guest, Ashley Judd. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here. This is Shug. <laughs> she may wander around. She's really confident you already love her, even though you haven't met her yet. <laughs> so we'll see where she wants to go. I, I didn't prepare any questions for Shug. Um, well, Shug can tell you all about the best places in Prague to hike a leg. <laughs> come here, you. Do you want to come up or do you want to? Okay, you do whatever you want to do. I have on a very pretty dress for you, but I'm cold. <laughs> so maybe when I warm up, I can show you my pretty dress. <laughs> So, Ashley, Ashley, thanks for your time tonight, coming by for this. I want to tell you a funny story about my exposure to this show, because uh, we who write about TV, at the end of the summer, we get a big stack of screeners of all the new shows. And you have to kind of prioritize. So, mid-season shows like Missing, you kind of put at the back, and you get to it closer to the air date. And also, as a rule, I, I tend not to read up too much on shows until I, before I watch them. So, I had no idea what this is about, other than it's, it was called Missing, and that you were in it, and somebody was missing. So I'm watching it, and we have you playing a nice enough soccer mom. She's got a son who she loves very much. There's a husband who's very quickly out of the picture, shall we say. The son goes away to Europe. He goes missing. She goes to look for him. She's walking around his apartment. This, this soccer mom, creepy guy shows up, and then she starts kicking his ass. And I was like, what? I had no idea what the show was about. And I was like, I hope the next scene explains this. And then sure enough, you're CIA. So I have to imagine you, you were probably pitched often and hard to do TV. What made you say, this is the TV series that I want to star in? Well, I like your story, and I think that ABC's advertising is ubiquitous enough at this point that yeah. most viewers won't have the pleasure <laughs> of that reveal. But was I'm a, glad it was somebody a, did. It was a riot. It was, <laughs> it was a riot. Good. Learning it that way. Well, um, I did say hi. I just want to say thanks again to everyone for coming out. It's really nice to be here. It's a wonderful, relaxed setting, and I love doing Q&A. Um, I have the pleasure of that format often, whether it's about the book I wrote or stuff I do with my other work. So I'm glad you're here, and I like your T-shirt. And uh, I, well, we can talk all night. We can talk all night. Um, <laughs> Okay. Um, ironically, or coincidentally, is probably more accurate, my phone went a little kaput on the way here, and I was trying to book my Uncle Mark's tickets to Atlanta because I fully expect we'll be in the Sweet 16 in Elite Eight. And I thought, oh, good, we're going to Apple. I'll get my phone fixed fast. Um, I have had the, I've had the good fortune of a lot of television coming my way and being offered to me. I basically retired in 2006, so I wasn't interested in anything except doing my international work and focusing on my recovery for quite a few years there. And then I went to graduate school, and while I was there, my agents were told to completely leave me alone, which agents can only follow instructions uh, so far. And they were quietly letting me know that, that television was experiencing a magical age, a real golden era. There was incredible talent in front of and behind the camera, and that I was being offered a lot of different series. And some of them, they said, were really outstanding. And they felt at least a responsibility to make me aware, even if I said, I can't read that right now. I have homework to do, which was uniformly my response. But once I graduated, 
And I started to integrate the fact that I'd accomplished two things that were really important to me, uh, publishing a book about social justice and getting a graduate degree. I started to want to be creative again. I could feel that desire to be back on a set, to act with great actors. And I got the phone call that agents enjoy making and actors love getting. Uh, my friend, Corey Wellens, who's brought me up in the world of television and, and taught me, hopefully, everything I need to know at this point, said, I think I found the one. I think I found the one. It's, it's everything we've been looking for. It's only 10 episodes, which would allow me to live the balance of my year pursuing the other work that's far too important to me to give up. Uh, 10 episodes also allows me to conserve my energy because I find acting, for reasons that should be fairly evident on the screen, somewhat depleting and exhausting. Um, the character was real and complex. There was tremendous emotional depth, plus there was a lot of physical empowerment. Both, of, both are things that I really like to, to have when I play. So I decided to do it. Um, they agreed to everything that was important to me, like surrounding me with other fantastic actors like Cliff Curtis, who you've seen in movies like Blow and Whale Rider, which was you know, one of the most special films of the last 15 years. And so to have really high quality talent um, whose primary focus is really uh, special independent films was great for me to have in a television series. So that's a little bit of that. And um, I'll see what you have to ask me next. Well, I'd read, an, I'd read an interview with the series creator where he said he had been a fan of you since your bit role on Star Trek The Next Generation, which was what? <laughs> 96? Uh, actually, my, my guest star role on Star Trek The Next Generation was 1991, and I know that because someone showed a clip last night. I was brand new in Hollywood. I had just gotten my braces off, I believe, and I went over to Paramount to audition for something, and at the end of the audition, they started whispering, which I thought was a good sign, and they were going to cast me, but actually what they did was cast me on the spot in something else for which I had not auditioned, which was Star Trek Next Generation. I was immediately dispatched to the wardrobe department because there are no bras in space, and I had to be fitted for my very own personal uh, Star Trek non-brasier, uh, and it's much more complicated for men, apparently. And yeah, did my, did my two roles, uh, my two episodes of that, and it was fun because I, I was still in acting school, yet to got, I got to go to a set and sort of learn the technical piece and go back to my classmates and report. Tell us about the lo location shooting you did for the show because my understanding is it's almost exclusively location shooting in the European cities that are featured on the show, which you know is some people liken the show a little bit to Alias, but that's a big difference for the show is all the location work. How important was that you to give the show that added flavor of authenticity? The show's creators have been in television for a while and Gina Matthews and Grant Charbo are married, and they had a show last year, perhaps year before last, that was not set in a certain small American town that's swelteringly hot in the summer and alive with mosquitoes, but that's where they ended up filming, and they were abjectly miserable. And on one particularly humid day, um, they started daydreaming about how they could create a show that would allow them to actually enjoy the locations. And the locations had to be so tied into the piece that a studio couldn't move it to somewhere else saying that it was less expensive. They're dual citizens, they have Italian passports, 
and they started saying, gosh, you know, we need to write something that would allow us to live in Italy and start bringing our children up, both as Italians and Americans. Well, now, wait a minute. We're on to something. We've never been to Prague, and we've always said we were going to... Have you ever been to Istanbul? No, wait a minute. Dubrovnik, Croatia, literally is made of marble. We have to go there. And together with Greg Poirier, who has a very fine talent for writing you know, these complicated plots with a lot of um, moving parts, together with them created Becca, created the show. Each episode is set in a different part of Europe and Asia, we should say to be geographically correct, because Istanbul um, is partly in Asia. And um, then the plot emerged from there. Now, obviously, you're very well-traveled from all the work that you do. Was there any new places you got to visit being a part of this show? There were new places. I, I particularly enjoyed Havar, Croatia, which is a small island. They have a lot of national parks. They take their wildlife conservation seriously. And it has that wonderful combination of mountains and sea. Um, the dogs and I also enjoyed it because it's a, very, it's a port town and everything is confined and it's all pedestrian traffic. So I could open my hotel room door in the morning and the dogs became little village dogs and they'd run around and do their thing and bark at their friends and then come back. So it was a very pleasant place to film and all the locations were beautiful. I mean, obviously Istanbul is quite a spectacular place and we had in each um, city to adapt to the realities of both the culture, the tourist season. So in Istanbul, we're filming Call to Prayer, Hold the Roll, okay, resume and... You know, we learned about Balkan time, so they, which is very different <laughs> from European time. And, you know, I learned to order my snacks hours in advance of when I would actually need them. Now, you went into this fluent in French uh, as CIA agent, former CIA, CIA agent Becca Winstone. Were there any, what other languages do you get to churn out? I get to speak some German, which um, obviously English is a Germanic language, and, so, and my dad studied German. And very minimally, but around the house, he would speak German to me growing up. So it was fairly easy for me to grasp the German, and I liked it a lot. Um, I speak French and Italian, although my, my husband always teases me that my Italian has a Spanish accent because of my friendship with Salma. He says that her Spanish has ruined my Italian. And I tried to speak some Czech, and I, I failed absolutely at it. It's an extremely difficult language. I remember once getting in a taxi and saying to the guy every Czech word I know because I got so flustered. I was saying, please, thank you. Hello. Good night. Where's the toilet? I was saying everything all at once. And I, I tried practicing Czech for a scene. And I, I've told the story a couple different ways. And I'm going to tell you the truth. My assistant who was Czech actually said, oh, you're, you're working on your Italian. And I was so mortified. And then she said, oh, 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 you're working on your Russian. <laughs> Normally when I tell the story, I just say the Russian part. But I was trying to fly a helicopter at the same time, and I decided that I you know, was going to give myself a break. All right, well, speaking of the helicopter, you've obviously had a very rich and varied film career. That said, what firsts as an actress did Doing Missing present to you? Um, Is there anything you got to do for the very first time? Zip line, hang from a... Parapet. I've done all that stuff. I mean, I, I, do, I do that as routinely as possible. There's a beautiful national park near Scotland where we live, and they have zip lines. And um, I think that some of the, you know, the multiple attacker fight scenes were new. I'd fought 
uh, with an individual, maybe two people, but to fight with crowds of three or more with disarming their weapons and taking them all out and doing that regularly was probably new. How did you prepare for the physicality of the role? Is there a routine you have from past movies you've done? I did yoga for three weeks. And that just gets you all limber and ready to go at it? What would you say is the most daring or bold stunt sequence in this 10-episode series? Well, I have to think, you know, there's 10 episodes, so if I want to... I break into French intelligence in an an upcoming episode that I happen to really like. And we chose the space because architecturally it's quite um, open and it looks just impossible to find a way to break into it. There's no place to hide. There's no way to go upstairs except for the elevators, which are transparent and glass. So what I do is I wedge myself between a wall and a column like that, and I crimp my way all the way up and then do some. So that was really fun. That was, and that was tricky. And even that had those sort of these glass catwalks everywhere. And part of what's so funny about being me on the set is I'm doing that, but then they're like, no, 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 don't step on the glass. Don't step on the glass. You might fall through. They're so random about what they choose to be frightened about. Oh, my God. Now, in addition to being a highly formidable former CIA agent, what most impresses you about Becca as a character? I think Becca's emotional depth and texture is what impresses me. She's as complete and human a character as I've ever played. I mean, I go back and think about Vivi, the amazing character I played in Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, who was a a loving mother but very conflicted and used prescription pills as many women of her social class uh, did in that era. And Becca's a lot like that, a little bit of the reverse or on the other end of the spectrum in terms of loving motherhood so much that it's my absolute complete identity because I, I had a very tough childhood growing up, which is something that the show's creators told me was part of why um, it sends me into such a phenomenal tailspin that something has happened to my kid, because my whole life has been about trying not to recreate my childhood and to create something safe for my own family. And when that's um, threatened, it uh, rocks me to my very core. And I think that we all, as parents, aunts, uncles, as members of a community, have um, a not-so-hidden fear that something may happen to a young person in our life. It's one of those things that we dread, but we kind of can't help not thinking about it because that's actually part of our survival. We kind of think about it because we want to be prepared. We've got that lower part of the brain that's always vigilant, that's always roving, is always perceiving the threat and figuring out the solution. And then the other part about Becca that is so wonderful is she is the solution. Like, I will handle this myself. And I think there's some wish fulfillment. We all wish we could. Although, although she does get offers of help from Cliff Curtis's character. You singled, singled him out before. How would you describe the dynamic between Becca and his character? He's, he's what, the, uh, the CIA? Yeah, uh, Cliff Curtis boss? plays the uh, director of the CIA for Western Europe. And he's kind of... middle management, his career is stalled, he gets in trouble with the big boss lady back in Washington, D.C. a lot, he's looking for a way to make a name for himself. You'll see that he has his own um, very complicated family story where he's constantly choosing between his kids and his career, and he's not making decisions that he can really live with. And so, you know, all of this that you saw here is indeed a part of the show, but it's fundamentally a show about family and about relationships. And every character has 
that arc. So there's a character in, in episode two played by a legendary Canadian actor named Lothair Bouteau who's in Jesus of Montreal. Any of y'all ever seen that? Any indie film buffs here? Um, I mean, he is a walking legend. And even his story at its core is about family. So Cliff uh, is such a wonderful guy. He's really good at running charades. He's Maori. And he'll do his hookah dance for me sometimes, which I am crazy about. And we're kind of frenemies. You know, he wants to help me. And then by turns, he doesn't believe me. Yet he starts to realize from my days as an active CIA agent, I have information about old cases that can help him today. Or I might be sort of taking the cork out of the bottle on some stuff that they really want to keep suppressed. Because as I said, I will do anything to find my boy. And I get to the point where I don't care who I take down with me as long as I get my kid. Um, so it's a really good relationship. He's got pressure from all sides, as do I. And we have moments when we collaborate, and then there are moments when he just flat out betrays me. Now, Sean Bean obviously has lots of, lots of fans out there, and people who see Thursday night's premiere might be worried that they won't see too much of him in the series. Can you assure those people that there will be good amounts of Sean we Bean? We do not waste Sean Bean's formidable talent, I assure you. And what you'll start to see in episode... Well, you'll start to see soon that you, you're introduced to our life as a married couple who are partners in the CIA. Because I start to my horror to suspect that it was our career then that has something to do with our son's disappearance now. So I'm going back in my mind and showing you all of that with Sean and me acting. And I've got long hair and I'm even cuter. Um, so he is not wasted. And, we, you know, and for example, we, we have a, a storyline around some work that we did um, in Chechnya when the rebels were fighting. And you see all of our CIA stuff from that time, and it's intercut with some things that I'm, some moral dilemmas that I have now about how far I will go and how deeply I will compromise my own values to get Michael. And before we turn this over to the audience for questions, I wanted to know if this show does get some traction and it gets a season two pickup, pick up if ABC is interested, is that something you're on board for? I know you have a lot going on. Well, I don't know. Um, ABC will make their decision in mid-May, and it's not just um, based on the show itself. They look at their whole slate of programming and what's happening every night of the week and all of their time slots, and it'll be whatever it's going to be. You know, one of my favorite beliefs is that there is a God and it's not me. We'll see what happens. Um, I have to make it work either way. I'd be very pleased to have made a sensational season one the DVDs will be out there and then go back to graduate school or, you know, go back to Ethiopia or wherever, follow my hot husband around while he tries to win his fifth IndyCar championship, um, or maybe do another season. And part of why the creators reached out to me is they know my consciousness and they support my work in the world. And they assured me, as did ABC very much to its credit, that I could bring storylines in from my human rights work. I was, so, just, I was just about to ask that, if you were able to weave in any of your personal yes. causes. Very soon, in, in the first season of Missing, we introduce a human trafficking theme, because there's a lot of sex and labor slavery in Europe, particularly out of Eastern Europe and the former Soviet states. 
and there's a lot of trafficking pipelines that go through there because the, the borders are so porous and there's so much corruption because people are poor. Um, so you'll, you'll see that, and if we do a season two, we are very prepared to go a lot further with those kinds of things, and we're talking about Sub-Saharan Africa. So an American TV series that shoots entirely in Sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. All right, uh, if anybody in the audience has any questions, raise your hand, wait we for have the mic a to come to you. We have a microphone, we'll come to you. And right I, will warn any Kentucky, I will warn any UK row. people that I'm a Syracuse alum, so. Oh. I that have Vanderbilt beating Syracuse. Yeah, a lot but of I think I might want to undo it, but that's the thing. Because I started thinking about how Syracuse has that length and stretches out the defense. We, we just lost our center, though. Yep, that was gone. Yeah. <laughs> For the tournament? Yeah. yeah. When did that happen? Today. Today. Yeah. This is what happens when you're doing a Nightline interview. I am so sorry to hear that. Are you crushed? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? No, seriously, is he hurt? Eligibility. Uh, Concerns. Concerns. Eligibility concerns. Yeah, they haven't they haven't specified yet, but it's an yeah. eligibility thing. <laughs> Maybe. That sucks. Someone didn't make sure he went to enough classes. That is the is the uh, speculation? I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you for your concern. <laughs> I right. really um, love to beat you when you're at your best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, two things. First off, my dad wanted me to tell you that your work with uh, mountaintop removal yes, prevention like means a whole lot to him because he spent his whole career uh, working on that kind of stuff. What I'm from Lexington, yeah. And uh, also I wanted to ask if you have a favorite UK player this year and who you have us beating in the championship game. I have us beating North Carolina. Yeah. And I think that our game against Florida in the semifinals of the SEC bodes really well because they played a very fast transition offense. And we, yeah, and we hung with them really nicely and won handily. Um, favorite player, that's tricky. I'm real sweet on Darius Miller. I might DM him from time to time. <laughs> but I love Terrence Jones's fire. When he gets going with that fire, I mean, I like stand up and do the happy dance. Hi, Ashley, big fan of Dolphin Tell. What was your experience like and what was Nathan Gamble like from your point of view? Uh, Nathan Gamble is a wonderful kid. He is still a kid, which is part of what's so special about him. He could be professional and, you know, do everything that's expected of an actor on set. And yet he was just a wonderful boy. Loved making the film. Uh, as soon as I finished reading it and realized it was a true story, I committed to the movie without knowing anything, where they were going to film it, how long it would take, how many days. Um, Winter is obviously uh, an extraordinary animal and a really silly, sweet, <laughs> playful girl. Uh, I cry through the movie too. <laughs> she. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's it's a really good movie, and I think it has some sustaining messages about healing and family of choice. I'm glad you liked it. Thank you. I, I have twin nine-year-old boys, and they that movie filled them with such wonder. They came home and they were like, "Could this really happen? Was this true?" And it's a great movie. Well, I'm finding a niche. You know, we all have our niche. Uh, my, one of my niches is I turn down things that other um, actors win Oscars for. I've been doing that for years. Really quite accomplished at it. And now my new niche is that I am involved with films and documentaries about animals with prosthetics. Uh, very specialized because I did Dolphin Tail and then I just narrated a documentary called Eyes of Thailand about making prosthetics for elephants who have lost limbs due to landmine accidents. And it is absolutely incredible. In fact, it's, it's coming out really soon, Eyes of Thailand. 
Hi, I love your dog. Thanks for bringing him. Um, uh, it's it, uh, slightly on the personal for a second. You're the reason I got involved in activism, straight up. Um, the Marie Claire magazine cover you did years ago inspired me to get into activism. I started my own nonprofit because of you. So um, I want to give you a chance to talk about your book because I don't know how many people here have read it. I've read it. I think everyone should read it. When are you? What's the next step for your social activism? I know you're involved in PSI. I know that's your passion. So. Bambi. Hi, Bambi, and thank you so much for letting me know that. And where I am with my social activism is that I believe somehow it all works together with the other interests in my life. I'm not real sure how, but I know that God has given me all of these interests and that all the work comes out of the same consciousness. And so I just try to do the next good, right, honest thing and know that if I'm coming from a place of love and abundance, whatever I do in the world, it's all the same service. That that sense of separation or distinction is actually a false construct. And I need to remind myself of that a lot because I have phenomenal opportunities. I also have to make some practical decisions. I've decided to close my calendar. I don't accept requests or invitations from new organizations or, you know, or existing ones who come to me no matter how worthy, because I cannot be all things to all people. You know, I have to know how to leverage my core passion in a way that's effective and, and strategic. So I'm still with Population Services International. I'm on the advisory board of um, Abolition Demand, which addresses the demand side of sex slavery, which is really important to me because there will always be a supply of vulnerable girls and women in this world because we don't live in that perfect spiritual place yet. And I'm on the Advisory Council of International Center for Research on Women. You may be familiar with their current campaign to end child marriage. I believe that girls should be students, not brides. And I'm speaking at the UN tomorrow about all that is bitter and sweet. I'm on President Clinton's opening panel at the CGI Winter Meeting on Thursday talking about the kind of revolution that's taking place in public health in terms of franchising public health. So uh, I'm kind of doing, you know, what I know to do as best I can. And bringing those themes and narratives into the, the, the show, Missing, to the extent that I can, will help me have a sense of integration. Um, I, I put pictures all over the walls on the inside of my trailer while we were filming for four and a half months from my trips to 13 countries thus far that I've had the opportunity to visit, some countries multiple times, like Congo. And I would take a nap every day, as is my want. Learned that from Robert Duvall. Um, and when I would wake up from my nap, I would look at these pictures. And in particular, there's one of a little boy in a slum who's taking his bath from a spigot. And he's buck naked. And he has the most wonderful, gleeful smile on his face. And uh, I would talk to him and just say, I have no idea what you have to do with this show. I don't know what any of that has to do with me doing this show, but it has to do something because it's all me. I have lived all parts of this. So I just try to do the next good, right, honest thing and keep myself out of the way and see where it goes. Does that answer the question? Thank you. Next question here, third row uh, to your right. Hi, I have a two-part question. Um, at what point in your life did you decide that you want to be an actress, and what went into making that transition? 
Well, I think I started to act when I was a little girl. I didn't know that's what it was because it was a certain kind of pretending and acting and just a way of being that was very childlike. Uh, but there was a real specific moment when I was in the third grade. I loved to read as a child. And I was reading a book, you know, and the heroine was in some kind of a pickle. She had all this drama in her life, a bunch of emotional stress, and I was so caught up in it. Like, I could barely concentrate in school because I wanted to see what happened on the next page. And after school, when I was walking, I decided I wanted to be her and walk as she would and see the world as she would. And this is the part that's really interesting. I wanted the world to affect me as it would her. So I wanted to be sensitive in the way that... And I closed my eyes and I thought I was going to go, you know, and it was going to all be different. And it wasn't. The blade of grass was still the blade of grass. But that's really acting, you know. The definition that I found at Playhouse West, which is a Meisner school, is to live truthfully under imaginary circumstances. And I also found that acting for me as a child was a way to blow off a lot of steam. It was a safe way for me to express my feelings. I wasn't allowed to have big feelings in our house growing up, like my anger was unwelcome. I wasn't comforted a lot when I was lonely or in pain. Um, we grew up in a, you know, as everyone well knows, a very, a very loving home in many ways, and also a severely dysfunctional home in others. So, you know, when I would go into my room and do this stuff, it was a lot of what wasn't welcome at the kitchen table at supper time, if we even had supper. And I joined the Peace Corps when I was in my senior year at the University of Kentucky, but I had this nagging fear that if I didn't try acting professionally, I might regret it. And I knew enough, you know, from grown-ups that that could be a haunting life choice, you know, not to have the courage and the vulnerability to risk something. And I also was pretty confident if I went to Africa as a young woman, I might not ever come back. You know, that I would have started this long ago and I'd be like my friend, Teresa, who started in the Peace Corps and has now lived in Central Africa for 35 years. Um, so I went to Hollywood, you know, and the rest, happened very quickly. It happened very quickly. I was reminded earlier today that being a working actor and then a star, you know, happened in, in the space of months for me. Uh, you come from a musical family, so if you could pick any role in a Broadway musical, whether on stage or on film, what would it be? Well, years ago, I thought that Cabaret would be a good fit for me because the whole point is she sings badly. And I wouldn't have that pressure and that expectation of a good vocal performance every night. And I'll have to think about it. You know, I would, I did Cat on a Hot Tin Roof at the Music Box Theater for six months. And that was before recovery. And I would love to do a play again at some point in recovery because I think the experience would be very different. Much better. <laughs> Much better. Hi, Ashley. Um, going back to the answer to your question about becoming an actress, with a new series, how much of you do you see in the character and vice versa? I do think Becca Winstone from Missing and I have a lot in common. Strong, resilient, determined, resourceful, uh, difficulty taking no for an, ounce, an, uh, an answer, uh, prone to violence. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Physically very empowered and strong. Um, a real, a real sense that uh, it is absolutely our responsibility to protect those who are vulnerable in our society. Um, 
a desire to live a principled life. And yet everything else is different, you know, but the important thing is that I identify with the feelings. And that's, you know, one of the big uh, premises of recovery, in fact. My situation may differ from yours. Our stories may not be alike, but there's identification with each other's feelings. And so when we sit in a healing circle together, it's like, yeah, I know how you felt. And this is what I did, and I feel a lot better now. And we share that amongst ourselves. And I was thinking earlier to today, too, I don't draw necessarily from my own life experiences, but I hold a standard for myself that I will draw from what I know to be my fairly astounding capacity to feel. And I don't let myself cheat. You know, I require that level of performance for my, from myself in, in everything I do. And if anybody knows how to like act and be fake and be good, please see me afterwards. It's tiring to do it the way I do it. You had a question? Yeah, I did. Well, I'm Syracuse so uh, also. So I, I do think that if they do make it to the final, which they probably won't without Fab, against Kentucky, you know, 96, I think it's maybe time for payback, but we'll see. But my question is about um, film versus television. And now probably seems a little more seamless um, in terms of people have done it. When you were thinking about this role, did any of that come into play? Not that you would necessarily go back to film or just do film, but just the fact that it seems a little more seamless than it was, say, 10 years ago. It definitely is. And I remember watching The Big C with Laura Linney, who's a very fine actor, and seeing Liam Neeson doing a quick guest turn. And um, ter- uh, Tony Collette, who I think is incredibly gifted, doing her wonderful show, United States of Terra. And obviously Mary Louise Parker is a wonderful theatrical and film actor. So it is very seamless, and there's not, uh, you know, it used to be that there was a sense of if a, if a TV actor managed to do film, that they were uh, going uptown a little bit, and there's not that anymore. It's, the, the, the membrane, uh, real or imagined, is gone. And also, there's such a digital revolution in our industry that filming a film and filming a TV series are more alike in terms of the equipment and the pace. It's smaller, it's lighter, it's easier to move. There aren't the long waits anymore in between setups unless you have a DP who's you know, showboating. Um, and we filmed a lot of times two and even three camera setups, which is often done on a movie. So my experience on the show wasn't like, oh, distinctly, this is a television show. It was like making a movie and we had a film crew, the best film crew actually in Europe behind us the whole way. That was a good question. All right, Ashley, thank you so much for your time tonight. This was well, a really wonderful discussion. Well, is there anybody discussion. who has a little burning desire and will have their sensitive feelings hurt, or is everybody good? <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Thank, thank you, Shug. Thank you again so much to Ashley for being here tonight. Thank you, guys.